Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I learned that it's not my job to manage other people's feelings. It's my job to manage shows. And that's why people have therapists and friends and support systems. Yeah. And yeah. not me. And like, I really learned that like, sometimes you have to stay in, you stay in your own lane and you care about people and you love them as coworkers, but you have to do the work that you've got to do and they've got to figure out how they're going to do their work. Working on a team can be great, unless it's really not. In this conversation, the women who were part of BuzzFeed's pod squad share the lessons they learned about navigating group dynamics, taking responsibility, and creating boundaries, all while being on deadline to create great audio. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is Work It, the podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event. And this was part of I Know How to Do That, a series of hands-on workshops led by leading hosts and producers, where they shared tips, stories, and knowledge about all aspects of podcasting. Hi, um, I'm Julia Herlan. I'm Megan Dietrich. And I'm Alex Laughlin. We are the artists formerly known as the Pod Squad, a piece of the Pod Squad. Um, there are members of the Pod Squad, honorary, you know, there are members of the Pod Squad everywhere. We love you all. Uh, so we pitched this session about how to work together as a team because we were really a really small team making a lot of things, working really hard together. And then we got laid off as a team. <laughs> So we're all here to talk to you about, I don't know, teamwork. Um, let's see, I worked at, I started off at WMYC. Uh, my, a little bit about, then we can do intros and then we do. Um, <laughs> I started off at WMYC as an intern on Soundcheck and then I convinced them to start paying me to write like um, art stuff. And then I had other jobs, and then I convinced BuzzFeed to hire me, where I worked for four and a half years until recently, and now I am a freelancer. Hi, I'm Megan Dietrich. I was the lead producer of See Something, Say Something, a podcast at BuzzFeed that centers the Muslim American experience. And I, if we're doing our, if we're doing a little quick work history. I've had a million jobs. Um, I spent about eight years, my all of my 20s, in the Middle East and North Africa, working as a reporter and an editor, um, all in print, a little bit of video. And then I came back to America when I learned about podcasts and sort of started trying to get stuck in and you know, I worked at the Atavis magazine, which is a long form online magazine doing a bunch of stuff multimedia stuff, which is a term we don't even use anymore. That's how quick journalism <laughs> moves as an industry. It's not a job to be a multimedia producer. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I, I launched a podcast at the Smithsonian. I launched a podcast for The Atavist. And I found my way to BuzzFeed to, to work on See Something, Say Something. Hi, I'm Alex Laughlin. I started my work life in Washington, D.C. as a social media person. Um, and I did that for three years until I produced an independent narrative show. It wasn't independent. A narrative show about the multiracial uh, experience called Other for the Washington Post. And then I made a life-changing move up to New York last year to work for BuzzFeed as a fellow. Um, Thank God. <laughs> and 
<laughs> and yeah, and then I stayed on and produced Reporting to You and then the News, which was our twice weekly show that will probably be the source of a lot of our explanations and stories today. Um, and as of yesterday, I am going to be a full-time producer at Transmitter Media. Yeah! Great, so our imagination for this session is really, this is a safe space. We wanna make a place where we can share really vulnerable stories about our work careers. And um, we want it to be sort of collaborative in the sense that like, you know, we know some things, we don't know everything. If you have a comment, um, there are cards that you can write down. Our main question, hang on, let me go. Our main question yes. is, we had a whole text exchange about this gift. Can you see it? I'm a multimedia producer now. Um, the, so basically, describe a situation in which you felt frustrated by your team and didn't know what to do. So that is our baseline question that we're gonna be talking about. Um, I should say that we are an all-woman team. The pod squad was basically an all-woman team the entire time. There were men who we much respected and worked with and loved in various positions, but for the most part, it was rooted in an all-woman um, group. And let's see. So, okay, if you have a card, write your answer, your situation. We have a couple that we can start with now. Um, and we wanna like, we'll give our sort of answers and advice, but if you have advice and you wanna like come in and say something, go, there are mics right there and right there. Also, if you have a question, we wanted the card so that you could be really vulnerable and anonymous and say something without anyone understanding or knowing sort of like where you work or how it works. Um, but also feel free to use the microphones to say things that you want to share here. Um, do you want to start? Should we tell the story of the last year? <laughs> yeah, and, you do and it. And talk about our, you do it. our heartbreaks and triumphs? Oh my God, so many. Okay. Um, so a year ago, our team rearranged drastically. Um, several members left our team for a variety of reasons, and what remained was essentially the three of us with a few freelancers, and we had a new fellow as well, and we were given the directive to start a new podcast for the newsroom. Um, On top of the ones that we were already making. Yeah. So we spent a couple months uh, developing the show, workshopping it, piloting it, doing a lot of planning and research, and then we finally launched it, and it was a great weekly show, and then they were- We wanted were... to call it a different thing. Shh, we didn't want to call it the news. <laughs> we wanted to call it What a Week. I'm still not over it. It's a better name. Yeah, I heard those inhales. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. To be clear, we are not here to disparage our former employee in any way. Uh -uh. We are really grateful for our time there, and I, for, like, speaking for myself, it changed my life completely. So, um, nothing but good things to say. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> After a couple of months, they were like, cool, cool, this weekly show's great. How about do it twice a week? <laughs> and we we're like, okay, awesome. Uh, no new staff, no new no. friends. Mm -mm. And mm -mm. Uh, we looked up one day and we were producing nine shows a week with three full time staffers. Yep, nine shows, yeah. everyone. Five daily briefings the news twice a week, and two weekly shows, uh, See Something, Say Something, and Thirst Aid Kit, um, which are both, uh, you know, 40, 45 minute shows mm -hmm. each. So if you can imagine booking, producing, fact checking, writing, 
editing, all of that. Distribution. Distribute. Oh, right. We also did social. all of the distribution yeah. and social. Yeah. Um, do we want to start with our own challenges that we felt frustrated with? I forgot about that part. Yeah. Um, I think we should also say something nice. Okay. Yes. Cool. Great. Why you don't can, you start? I, I started by telling them, like, guys, don't look. Let's not get on the stage and you guys can drag me for being a bad manager. <laughs> but it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. No. Um, so having worked kind of in a, like, in a wide variety of environments on teams of different sizes within like large bureaucracies like the Smithsonian, the thing that I think working on the pod squad showed me was how a team can function with kindness and honesty and an expectation that everyone is doing their best work. And if they are not doing their best work, they will raise their hand for help. And having that as a team dynamic and taking that now into other jobs has been wildly important for like letting me know my boundaries of what is and is not appropriate for how other, the things other people can expect of me and how I want to be treated as an employee. Um, so that is one great thing that BuzzFeed did for me. Um, I think my biggest, uh, we, we talked earlier about what were some of the frustrations we faced on this small team that was doing all these shows during this period of weird transition uh, at this big company where we didn't always see where we fit in. And for me, I think the biggest frustration I had most frequently that I, was that I talked to all these people who I'm very close with, our hosts, our producers, um, our fellow, and everybody had anxieties. And I was there trying to, as, the, as a lead producer, trying to not just run the show, but run everyone's anxieties. And sort of talk them down and keep them calm and try to find them the solutions they needed to feel okay emotionally about where they were in the moment. And How'd that go? It was awful. It was horrible. I hated, I hated every minute. I was so stressed out. She did some out. great emotional labor for me. It was miserable. <laughs> um, and I mean, I... But what did you learn? Well, I learned that it's not my job to manage other people's feelings. It's my job to manage shows. And that's why people have therapists and friends and support systems. Yeah. And yeah. not me. And like, I really learned that like, sometimes you have to stay in, you stay in your own lane and you care about people and you love them as coworkers, but you have to do the work that you've got to do and they've got to figure out how they're going to do their work. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. That's so that was, that, was a, that was a really big struggle. It's really hard for me to like, let go of the ways in which I honestly love helping people who I think are good and who I want to support. And like, you can't sometimes, is what I learned, which is a great thing to learn. Julia. In, a, in our six-month performance review is like, do you want management training? And I was like, no, I never want to be a manager. And she's like, then why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so once she gave me permission to not manage other people. Yeah, don't do it. I stopped. <laughs> we're not paying, I mean, I, I literally, I was like, we're not paying you to be a manager, so don't do it if you're not, it's not in your job description. Oh, speaking of not in your job description. <laughs> so <laughs> let me start with the thing I love, which is similar to what uh, Megan said. The pod squad operated on, on some really basic principles of like um, assuming the best in everybody 
and assuming that if they aren't acting their best, then it's because of something within them that is broken or hurt or tired. And just like a severe amount of empathy that came from the leadership of our team, which like really changed the way I thought about interacting with people in a professional way. Um, and also just like knowing you can choose to be around people like that. Like you don't have to be around people who are shitty. So, um, I mean, that's a really privileged thing to say, but right. if you can choose to be around the people who are good, that's a good thing. We didn't have a lot of control, but we, yeah. the things that we did have control over, we were like, well, I guess we can't work with that person. Let's not ask them on. Let's find a different person that pod we can talk jail. to. Yeah, pod squad jail <laughs> was a secret thing where secret. basically like if someone was emotionally abusive or difficult to work with or hard to, hard to like produce in a various level, we just were like, oh, well, we'll not call on them again. And we all had the right to do it, and we didn't want to go, you know, we, we were very careful about that, obviously. But, um, yeah. yeah, choosing who you work with as much as you possibly can. Yeah. So the, the main struggle, which has also been, I think, the biggest way I've grown in the last year, is um, around March or April, I got super burnt out. Like, burnt out to the point that I was, like, in bed for two days, and I felt physically ill. And I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, but what it was, was I was producing a daily show um, five days a week, starting Sundays through Thursdays. Um, I was always tied to the news. I uh, worked six days a week for over a year, pretty much. And um, was also taking on a lot of extra work because I was, you know, in my former life, I was a social media editor. So I was doing a lot of the promotion work and the planning for that and like just getting really high on this idea that I was like working hard, like it was this great thing. I learned that um, if you're the only person on your team that knows how to do something, that's not a strength, that's not something to be proud of. Like that is, you are failing yourself, you're failing your teammates, you're hogging the knowledge, and you're setting up your team to be a team where if you are out of the picture, then they can't survive and they can't be great without you. And while that like feels really good for your ego, that's like not sustainable and that's not a good way to live. Yeah, I feel like, I, I mean, I was, I was at BuzzFeed for four and a half years, so I was lucky enough to get the guidance of um, other people before I became a manager. Uh, El Eleanor Kagan, shout out to Eleanor Kagan, Ooh. our front row cutie. Uh, <laughs> but, I feel like my biggest, I feel like my biggest struggle was sort of going from being a member of the pod squad um, to becoming a manager and then having to sort of navigate the conversations that happen above the creative layer of work in which you are like sitting there and someone might be lying to you about whether or not you're going to be able to have a job in a couple of months or, you know, really more of the struggles of like, what do you do when somebody who is in power has an idea, it's not quite the right thing, you know what you think is right, but you have to have this like sort of like gentle struggle, constantly managing up to figure it out. Um, it's not necessarily like what it was like to work on a team that was hard. In fact, I feel like a lot of like the two struggles that they had were struggles that I created because <laughs> I relied so hard on them as my, as my people. Um, but essentially what happened was 
I had to go from being a regular degular person to being a manager and trying to figure out how to air traffic control the emotions, how to make sure everybody was doing their job, how to make sure, um, like if we're assuming that everybody is doing their best work and we're assuming and we're leading with empathy and somebody is just not fucking doing their job, what do you do? Um, there are lots. There were lots of struggles um, in that sense, but ultimately, I think that my biggest struggle was trying to figure out how to manage up and how to represent our team outwardly in a way that they, that other people could understand, and represent audio in a way that other people could understand. Um, I'd say that like what I learned is that there's only so much you can do. And that is that was a really important lesson across the board. Um, you know, I was managing the team and hosting the podcasts and producing the podcasts and working six days a week also with Alex without being like really noticing or being paid or anything and constantly in the news and constantly upping the ante. And at one point I remember turning to Alex and being like, so what, if it's not good, put it out anyway, I don't care. They're not gonna learn that we need more people until we need more people. And if we can't, we, we can't keep being the, the people that are caring, you know, like we're, we're covering, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah, like if, we, if you're killing yourself to make the best product possible knowing you don't have the resources, yeah. like yeah. sometimes you just have to let things slip. Yeah, I when remember you, being like, let it be it. bad, so what? Just Which really is, um, that, I mean, listen. Let it be bad. It was never bad. It was never bad. It was always extremely good, extremely yes. well produced. God. But there was a moment where it was like, well, if there's a typo in the description, we will fix it later. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is actually a good way to, to work. Hopefully we all have more resources. Hopefully you are all being uplifted by the people who are in charge. But <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's a funny concept. <laughs> it's not so funny. So, anyway, would so you like to shall we start? And okay, so write your frustrations down anonymously, or if you want to be bold, the mics are there. We're gonna start with these two questions, but like think, think, think. And why don't we say if you have your questions done, pass them, pass toward them the towards the middle. Yeah. If you're in the back, pass them towards the the most people area. <laughs> and then if you have a pile of things, then lift your hand up and we'll, co we'll come and get them. Um, okay. Molly, do you think you can come and get them? That would be great. Amazing. We okay. have two already so we have from two, some two, superstar yeah, people. Yeah, our superstars. Okay. All right. Um, so I love this one. What are some good ways to encourage in accountability? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> do you want to start, Alex? Yeah. Also, please... We mean it. Jump in if you want to. Yeah. If you have good ideas, this is a, you know, we're, we're all here. I think that, you know, I can remember a handful of times when something was meant to get done and then it didn't get done. And at first, I spun myself into a frenzy over the weekend when I realized, like, oh, my God, this thing didn't happen, and now I have to do it on a Saturday. Um, so thing one is I stopped looking at my email on the weekends, and I made it so I didn't learn that something wasn't done. Um, and it goes back to the letting the gaps show. Um, you know, if something doesn't happen, like the whole team should feel the, the burden of that, not just me. 
And so then we would, we would have Monday morning meetings together uh, and we, we would do a thing called Pros and Grows. Uh, shout out to Nina Patak. Yes. Yes. Uh, pros and grows are like a good thing and a not so great thing from the last week, either from the episode or just like from the production cycle. Um, so we would talk about it and we would always try to talk about things to improve or things that slip through the cracks in a way that wasn't blaming. The emphasis was never on figuring out like who, who fucked yeah, up, who was at fault, like who's, whose fault is this? It was always like, how can we support you to make sure this doesn't happen again? Um, so again, like going back to the idea of empathy, like when things aren't getting done, more likely than not, like they are innocent at heart. It's not like they're trying to purposely fuck you. Like they are, they're struggling. They don't know what they need to do, et cetera. And like, if you come at them with like accusatory language or tone, then that'll make their walls go up and it'll make your problems even harder. Yeah, I feel like I did a, a thing last year where I tried to stop saying I was too busy and I started saying I didn't prioritize that, which basically changes the blame. It basically says like, I'm taking responsibility for not having prioritized that. Um, instead of being like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I was too busy to come to your birthday party or whatever it was. Um, and it was a really interesting sort of mental shift for me where I realized that being busy is a really poor excuse for hurting someone's feelings or not following through or not being accountable. And I tried to be really accountable to myself and that was a way that I found that I could make other people accountable. Within reason, it wasn't perfect. I'm far from that. but. It was a tiny little mental switch where I felt like I was all of a sudden in, in control. And consequently, I felt more powerful about my own, my own thing. I was like, well, you know, I'm, I, if you're really vulnerable and you're like, I didn't, I'm, I, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't prioritize that. Next week, I'll prioritize that. Or this time, I will get to it, blah, blah, blah. It really gives you a framework for stepping in accepting the responsibility and then moving forward. But um, that's for your own the stuff. That's your own shit. I think one of the most helpful phrases for me um, in encouraging other people's accountability is constantly when I, when I find myself having a moment of freedom, asking, what can I do to support you? Ugh. And that... Deidre walking up to you in a moment where you're like, what yeah. the fuck is happening? And saying, how can I support you in this moment? It's just like the best... It's and, the best. And what it allows people to do is to sort of take stock of where they're at with the things that they need to do, um, while also offloading and asking for help when they need it. Um, and then that also encourages them, in their moments of free time, to come ask you how they can help you. Um, another thing that I found, when I was a producer at See Something Say Something, maybe like six months in, I was contract, I was eager to sort of keep all the work as my own and I felt like it was really important for me to kind of take on as much as I could so that I was protecting the work that I was doing. At the same time, my boss, the amazing Meg Kramer, was helping out more and more in production on the project and I felt really insecure about, about my own accountability. I felt like every time she took something on, it was me failing to be accountable for all of the work that I needed to do. Um, and an exercise I had us do in a weekly one-to-one -one was I asked her to come with a list of all of the job tasks that she thought was her responsibility. Like, what is her role as the editor of the show? 
what is my role as the producer? And I would do the same. And then we just talked really honestly about whose job is really what? And that allowed us, that really allowed me to relax because I understood then that if she was offering to take on something that I saw as my job, I could be like, hey, no, that's really, that's mine and I've got it. And I could push back on that versus feeling like I was being undermined. Um, yeah, I would say if you are on a small team, that is my favorite exercise. Oh. Called what's my job? We have a <laughs> yeah. 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 Will you go on the mic? So at a certain point in my career, um, I also managed a television station, and I think one of the things that happens is we get pulled into the individual um, issue with an employee when it comes to accountability without taking a moment to step back and look at the ripple effect it has on the rest of the team. So you can be dealing with this person and trying to support them. In the meantime, the rest of your team is taking on a lot of extra work and weight because you have someone who's not being accountable. So the way I approached it was always give people what they need to succeed, make sure you arm them with that first, and then have regular benchmarks for them and check-ins with them to mm -hmm. say, not a year into the issue, but a month in to say, hey, we're not meeting these benchmarks. What are you not getting from me that you need to achieve the things you need to achieve? But at a certain point, there are certain people who are not suited for certain roles. And you have to be radically honest with yourself about that and with them about that because you're not serving their higher good by yeah. keeping them in a role they're not suited for. Absolutely. What's your name? My name is Jen White. Hey, y'all. Yeah, Jen, Jen White. Thank you. Yeah. So wise. Yeah. We, we, had, we had that situation where we had to, like, you know, sort of address something where it's like, it seems like you hate your job. Can we talk about that? And it's, I mean, it's hard because everyone wants to feel like they love the work that they're doing or that they're doing great work. But, if, yeah, sometimes it just hits a point where you have to be honest and you, you're 100% right. Um, okay, let's go to the, the honesty cards. Do you have a comment or do you have a... Wait, ask a question. Okay. <laughs> um, My question is about dealing with upper management. You talked about managing up and I'd love to hear more about that, mm -hmm. but um, especially in creative fields or in new media, it can be a little blurrier about you know, what the expectations are of, of far upper management and how to advocate for your team how to stroke egos and help them feel bought into your project and your vision. Do you have any overall advice for dealing with perhaps executives or higher-ups who um, you know, either resist new ideas or ways that they're not necessarily ideas that didn't come from them, perhaps, yeah. or, and, and also to advocate for what you need and to protect, protect your group? Sure. I'm going to use the example of a project that we did with an outside platform you remember that? Yes, I okay, do. Okay, sorry. I'm, I'm going to be vague. Um, so it was a bad idea. And we were And the tasked, product was not great. And the product was, well, the, the, basically we had two problems. One was that management wanted to do this for reasons that were completely invisible to us. The other problem was that the, we were working with a completely outside organization, so it was like a black box. It was like, if it was our organization that was doing something weird, I knew who to go to and who to talk to to try and make something happen. It was not that situation. It was like there was one person who was basically like my babysitter who would have to respond to all of my emails and, and like 
the thing that they made didn't work. And we were, they were using us to test their shitty thing that didn't work. The outside company was. Essentially, I would say that like the lesson that I learned was that like I was very clear about what I thought was a, like I was pretty honest with the people on my team about whether or not this was a good idea. I was honest with the management and I, Produ we, you know, we produced the thing enthusiastically. Here, do you want to look at these? Yeah. Filter, yeah. Um, and we produced the thing enthusiastically and as well as we could, and we addressed every tiny little problem as it happened. And then the black box said, it's over. And we were like, okay, it's over. That was a good lesson in, I, I would say that like, it wasn't a problem with buy-in, we had the buy-in, but we just didn't have the resources to make it like exactly what it needed to be. Um, but based on that level of sort of like collective accidental mishaps, um, I was able to create a trust with them where I was like, this is a bad idea. I'm sorry, guys. This is a bad idea, blah, 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 blah. And eventually, I earned their trust. And then in the second, I think that you have to sort of like be in people's faces and be and earn their trust so that you can actually say like, hey, this should work this way. This shouldn't work that way. What if we worked backwards from this and we're able to stand in that? Um, now, we got laid off. So like clearly there was something that I wasn't <laughs> doing. You know what I mean? Like there is a limit. a sad ending. Yeah, yeah. And then no, and, and like I, like, Three weeks before, we, I, I had asked the question, like, what's going on? Are we good? And we heard we were good. So there's limits. But I would say that, like, doing the work that you believe is good work and being, like, extremely good about that, being, I, I think that you have to, like, be in people's faces a lot and, and not really, like, overthink the email and send the one-line email that says, like, I don't know about this or I don't think that this is a good idea when you think that. If you stand in that power, they will see you as somebody who is like your equal in a lot of ways. But I think that um, I like five years ago, I really like labored over every word in an email, and I really like made sure that I was like being a good uh, negotiator on everything, and was like really careful about the way that I spoke to people who were in upper management. And after a certain thousand number of one-line emails that had no any sort of anything, I just decided that like, no, it's better to just respond really like accurately and, and bluntly without overthinking it. And, and that actually earned me a lot more uh, trust from them. So, I mean, I guess live every day like uh, you're a white man with a, carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yeah, that one, yes. It's not my, that's not my phrase. Who's it from? Me. We'll figure it out. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah oh, Hagi. Yes. Yeah, Sarah Hagi. Um, let's have, go to the, a great one. The, the vulnerability cards. Yes, the vulnerability cards. Thank you all for being so vulnerable. Yeah. So I know we have great. a lot about bullying. Yeah, I think we should stack. talk. Yeah. 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 But this one is not about bullying. Sorry. Um, we consistently end up with entry level employees who want to skip the entry level work that needs doing. Okay. So this is an interesting topic. Um, I am freshly out of entry level, sort of. Sort of, hardly, but. I mean, I'm a youth, kind of. 
I walked into a room recently and heard a, a pitch that nobody else could hear. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, like, as, but as a person who, like, from the time I started my career four short years ago to now, I've always been like, but I want more. Give me more. Like, let me do this. I don't want to do this shit job. Um, and like, okay, it didn't work out super well for me sometimes, but other times it worked great. I think it's important to know that like when an entry level person doesn't want to do something or like is expressing an appetite for something greater, it's because they're incredibly ambitious and can probably handle it. That being said, they probably don't understand why they need to do the entry level work. Um, and it's helpful for them to understand like, okay, I know this isn't fun, I know this isn't sexy, but like you are actually doing the work when you are like, you know, good example is reporting to you, our daily news show. It wasn't, you know, one of our more prestigious shows. It wasn't Although as it was sexy. extremely successful. It was, it was the most successful. Anyway, um, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, the sexiest show though. Um, but like producing that on a daily basis really sharpens your writing skills. Um, it like sharpens your news judgment. It helps you turn stuff around really quickly. Um, and so like that was a thing where it was like, okay, I know you want to do like a bigger project, but like you have so much to learn from what's in front of you and explaining what they have to gain from it. Um, and also explaining like, hey, I did this too and this was like so helpful to me. Um, I think that that will be helpful. Yeah. And also maybe putting them on a path toward doing a thing that is an entry level, like giving them something to look forward to and to work toward yeah. is helpful. I also think um, we, uh, on podcast teams, you often kind of have a bad attitude about, about writing the copy, doing the admin, um, and doing kind of all of these other tasks that often fall to entry level. And I think just changing the attitude of, of valuing that work is as important as the more illustrious creative work and at time being willing to pitch in and do it kind of then then makes the people feel understand why this work is important and why yeah. it's 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 necessary and useful right remember when we had that like category of jobs that nobody wanted to do and everybody was disdaining in a way that um, made... <laughs> it was made my some, category of jobs. Yeah, that made somebody feel... Like, it was basically, like, the distribution. We, ha we had a moment where everybody was, like, really focused on making the thing and nobody really wanted to get good at figuring out how to distribute the thing. And I think that there were two things that we did. We, we like, addressed it really... on. Alex came to us really honestly and we addressed it really honestly about, like, how important it is to value this work and that it is part of the work and it is not a side thing that you have to do afterwards that, you know, the tweets being written is just as important as the show being mixed. Like, basically, like, make all of the work the same. That was something that we did uh, because that was what we had on our team to work with. And we also learned how to do it. We were like, okay, Alex, teach us how to do this properly. Teach us how to do it. And we all, we, we made time and we sat down and we tried to learn it and we weren't as good, and we regularly did not do as well as oh, Alex. it up a bunch of we times. We fucked it up all the time. Okay. But the fact that we were on the hook and sort of like willing to say like, no, this isn't below, like there, there's no, all the work is work. That's, that's the thing that I think 
more people should think about. Um, like, it's all, it's all part of making stuff, and we have to respect the work, and we have to respect the people who make every part of what we're doing. And if we don't, it, it creates this like weird, we don't have a caste system in our regular life, why would we have it at work, you know? Hierarchies are important, yeah. but like, it helps if everyone values everybody else's work. I, I've got one. Okay. Um, also, should we be more succinct? So yeah, let's be more succinct. We're gonna okay. try to be. Okay, yeah. quiet um, time. So, one reporter getting input from many people, web person, editor, other reporters, engagement, lots of postulations and varying needs. How to stay the course and stay focused? I guess my advice for you would be decide who amongst those stakeholders is your strongest advocate and the person that you believe brings the most to the table and make your decisions more like as collaboratively as collaboratively as you can with them and try to get them to to fight some of the battles with the other people. Mhm. Mm Anybody else have any tips? Yeah, I I mean I think that like when you have a lot of different stakeholders, you have to prioritize the person who is going to be like promoting your work and making it happen and then you have to figure out like is there a way I, I mean I always advocate for small spaces okay I'll be quiet or so soft spaces basically like if there is something that is going to be a contentious email like get a coffee with the person or do something that is like in march up to the person and have a conversation before something sort of like spill, spins out of control and I found that to be like it's sort of like a diplomatic approach. It takes a little bit more time sometimes and a little bit more like bravery in terms of like, hey, can we talk about this one thing? There were a lot of things that we figured out standing in the corner of the newsroom that, that I think worked better in terms of advocating and like pushing a project along. Um, you wanna go next? Yeah. Um, you want me to go next? Is that yeah. what you, okay, great. Um, how did you advocate for your work within the BuzzFeed newsroom? No? Yeah? Soft relationships, soft yeah. power, soft yeah. power. I'm a yeah. big fan of soft power. Can um, you explain what that means? Yeah, it's like, uh, well, shoot. The charm <laughs> offensive. Yeah, the charm offensive. So um, we were, when we were tasked with starting this podcast, um, we were like, oh, shoot, we don't really know that many people in the newsroom because we were kind of off in another round land, like all of us producing another round and see something say something. Um, and so we, like, took a list of reporters and editors in the newsroom and split them off into groups and each of us took a handful of them and we're like hey you want to get coffee like I want to hear about your work like what are you excited about and it sounds manipulative but we actually developed like real relationships with these people like people I'm still texting like on a really regular basis now um, and they were the people who were like on our show, like developed amazing segments with them. If we had stayed longer, I would have advocated to like start podcasts around them. And, uh, and they also like were able to then yield their own power within the newsroom to advocate on behalf of us because they liked us because we're cool. Yeah, you have one? Um, yeah, uh, and I actually really want to hear if the audience has any thoughts on this. Oh, and then we'll go to, and then we'll go to you, okay? okay. Oh, hi. Um, I'm the only woman on my team, and a lot of the time the men on the team do not hear what I'm saying on Slack, in person, etc., or take credit for my ideas. When I call them out, they act victimized and or act like I'm being too emotional. 
help. Oh, honey. Uh, How, yeah, if you have an answer to this question, get up on the mic. We're really glad you're here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah this is probably a really healing moment for you, person. Um, I just want to empathize with that situation. That really sucks. It's really hard. Um, I think that one thing that's important is like trying not to put, I, like, I don't know how much work has to be done via Slack, but I would say that like Slack is a really bad way to figure out who's powerful and who's not powerful because oftentimes mm. the, the guys like take up a lot of space. There's like a, a rhythm to the conversation. It feels like you're like trying to get in on a game of double dutch. You can't get in, you can't get in. And that is a really difficult um, position to be in. I feel that. But I think that like, God, I don't know. I feel like I would do stuff in person as much as possible. I would, I would like call a meeting. Is there a world where you can be the person who calls the meeting or calls the lunch or, or take, puts yourself in a position of, of power and authority saying, I'm going to teach you guys a class about X, Y, Z thing that we're doing that helps because it's important for them to see you in a place of authority. I would also say there's a lot of power in direct conversations. So like you know, maybe you have problems with four guys, but you can just pick one that you think might be most receptive and like take them out to coffee and be like, look, I'm sure this isn't your intention, but my experience is this. And I just wanted to share that with you because it, like, I think it's negatively impacting the work in X, Y, Z way. Find the person who you think can advocate for you and tell him it's his job to advocate for you. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you're at a bar and there's somebody really tall in front of you and you can't get a drink. You gotta be like, hey, hey, can you, can you get the bartender for me? Like, don't be afraid to do that because it puts him in a position where he realizes your worth and, and, his, and his role. Um, do you wanna go? Sure. Um, so I think we're in this really special time where media is scaling really quickly, but that also means that some managers are being promoted without the necessary training. How do you deal with <laughs> being micromanaged and someone who believes that micromanaging your processes is the correct way to deal with employees. I think, oh, thanks. <laughs> I would say that <laughs> silence is a really powerful tool. If there is a way to um, sort of like establish a moment where you're not going to be responsive to the micromanaging and say like, by the end of the day, I will have this, I'm gonna be offline, I'm gonna be off Slack, or like if, if there is a way to, to establish a silence period where you don't have to be answering to the micromanaging, making that a part of your workflow and, and really addressing that with the person who's micromanaging you can be a very powerful tool. I feel like when people didn't respond to me, I learned a lot about what I was, what I was doing, how I was doing it. You wanna go? Um, I think sometimes when managers come up in the world, their micromanaging comes from a place of feeling of that same insecurity of, of like feeling they have to have their hands in everything to prove their worth. So it's not necessarily a distrust of you as it is a behavior of, of insecurity from them. Um, and if it feels like that could be why it's happening for you, just empathizing with that and like being like, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna pop in with your idea and I'm gonna go, great, and then I'm gonna let you walk away and I'm not gonna take that personally is, is like, is a great way for it to deescalate the stress for you. 
And if you have weekly one-on-ones with them, you can be like, hey, I've noticed you've given me a lot of feedback in this, this, and this way. I just want to check in, you know, like, how did you feel like that project went? How did you feel, you know? And, like, making sure that they, they feel like you're holding yourself accountable. And then, you know, if they're micromanaging because they want you to do something differently, like, then that's, it's much better to just have that direct conversation with them and have them know that, you know, that you and them are on the same team. Yeah. I think. We're so running far. out of time. Oh, oh we've got a, no, someone no, no, over there. No, yes, no, please. Hi. I wanted to go back to an aspect of the previous, the woman, yeah. sister friend, speak whoever up, you are, up, who's working with the men. Because oh, one yeah. of the things yeah. that was mentioned in that was that they were taking credit for her ideas. Mm. And that really impacts moving up, moving forward, yeah. when you're not being credited with your own work. So I want to hear from you all about that. Um, my solution, I, I wasn't in that situation specifically, but one of the ways of kind of nipping it in the bud was, tedious as it might be, sending an email and copying who the next highest up. Because when someone's taking credit for your work, they're taking credit um, to, they're taking credit with someone who's higher up. Most likely, they're not just going to take credit within the group. They're yeah. doing it so that higher ups know what they're doing. So, you know, kind of own your power and do something about that. Now, I, w I don't know what your idea is, but mine is like documentation and paperwork. And then I love that if idea. it happens in person, you can say, whoa, do you like that idea? I am so glad that I said that to you and that yes. you agreed with me. Yeah. Woo! Yes. I love that. Thank you. Contemporaneous memos like James Comey. Yeah, James Comey the fuck out of it. Yes. Do you guys want to do a word? We're, we have to wrap up. Okay. We have so many good questions. I know. So do we want to do one more? One more? Through one, one more. more? Okay. This is the fastest question in the world. Okay. The, the only fastest. question that will ever be asked. Hang on. No, you have. Do you have one that you want? Oh, I have one. I yeah. Have, okay. You do it. And maybe we can still stand around afterwards and and answer people's questions. I have a taping. But. Great. Cool. <laughs> um, okay. I just like this one because um, I think it's something that Buzzfeed that we thought about a lot in Buzzfeed, which is if you are the only woman, young person, POC on the team being made to feel like you need to address issues of race, diversity, and inclusion or tokenism, how do you handle kind of being given that role? I mean, it depends on what team you're on. Maybe I think it depends on what team you're on. I think that, like, I have been aggressive about it, aggressively specific in moments where I'm like, that sounds racist. That sounds like a bad idea. Are there, I don't want to do it if there's no people of color on the list. I don't think we should do it if blah, 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 blah. I was like really explicit about that. That was my technique because it was safe because people were looking at me like, oh, oh, well, okay. It sort of like made people embarrassed to believe that it was okay to do things with all white people. Um, I was kind of unafraid of that, but I'd love to hear what you think. Um, Last question. As someone who worked on a show that was about an identity that was not my own, I made it my job to, whenever someone suggested something sticky or something that I thought was uncomfortable, it was my role as the person who wasn't being asked to use my identity in that way to speak up and be like, no. Like, yeah. we're definitely not assigning Ahmed to go interview the racist, the racist tattoo, tattoo artist. artist. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for that. Um, and 
and I think it's another thing that I think about when we talk about um, other people taking credit for our work is is like using the position that I'm in uh, to to speak up for people who are always being made to speak up for themselves and always being put in that corner. Mm -hmm. I tell every well-meaning man I know in public radio to amplify whenever he's in meetings and to when he hears a good idea said by a woman to, to say like, remember that great idea that person said? Um, and I don't know if they do it in meetings, but I know that at least if I'm telling them to, yeah. they can't say they never thought of it. Aggressive generosity around credit is something yeah. that I think is really, really vital and not enough teams do it, but like you have to start by modeling it for yourself so that other people will follow your lead. Alex, your last yeah, one? Yeah, I have one last thing to say, which is that um, in the time that the pod squad has lived and died, our group chat has thrived. And I feel like my immediate answer to almost all of these questions has been like, let's see what the pod squad has to say about it. And so that's just to say to you that like you should take advantage of the communities you have around you also to lean on them for support and for wisdom and guidance um, because we're all stronger together. Yeah. yeah. I have a I have an I have a future thing that we can do. Okay. Why don't we keep these cards and see and answer some of the questions on Twitter and keep the conversation going? Oh my god. Going. Yeah. Oh. Um, what hashtag should we use? Work it festival. Work it work it bullshit? Yeah, work it bullshit. Great. All right. Um, Thanks, you are wonderful. Be there for each other. Um, we're here. We're here all week. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. That was Julia Furlan, Megan Dietrich, and Alex Laughlin speaking at the 2018 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Event sponsors include Spotify, Captera, Stitcher, Art19, Pandora, Himalaya, and Yale School of Management. <laughs>